correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey folks, welcome back to Me and Steve, and this week we've got something really special for you, but before we get into all that, Steve, what's our podcast of the week this week? So our podcast of the week is Story Told, which is just a fantastic podcast. Why don't you go ahead and run through the pitch for them? Well, they're a little bit like us, but they tend to focus a little more on the newer kind of independent, extremely narrative games and a bit on some of the old World of Darkness titles. I know they have an exalted actual play series going on right now, although I think that's getting close to wrapping up and I'm not sure what they're doing after that. But your hosts, Logan and Griffin, they're always talking to neat people. I think their most recent episode, they talked with Cam Banks about the uh, Tales of Exadia release for Cortex Prime. So uh, very good podcast to check out. You can find them at thestorytold.libsyn.com. And of course, there'll be a link in the show notes. And speaking of talking with neat people, we have a guest on today. Yes, we do. We have who I think may be the owner of the most famous dog in all of RPG podcasting, Hudson Morrissey, with us today. <laughs> you introduced like we have the dog on the podcast like we don't actually he's, have he's here somewhere <laughs> I can't bring him on. but yes so today we're joined by russ morrissey from en publishing and en world and morris's unofficial tabletop rpg talk and uh what else do you do sir oh a whole bunch of stuff i i actually lose track of everything i do i mean I'm one of those people that just, I start something new every week and then I find it's all like building up and building up and building up and building up. And I thought, right, I have to dial this stuff back and like get it down to a manageable pile because I'm doing so many different things all at once. It's kind of weird. It's like, you know, you know what they say, when you run your own business, you, you work 24 seven because that's just how it is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that, that really is the case. All right, folks, one thing to note while listening to this episode, Steve and I sat down to record this with Morris on September 25th. And then, of course, once we'd recorded this promptly on September 26th is when all the information came out about the, quote, next evolution of Dungeons & Dragons and so on and so forth. Now, no one obviously knows for certain, but at this point, it seems to be kind of a commonly held belief that that is going to be more of a consolidation of the um, new character creation rules that were put forth in Tasha's and so on and so forth, more of a consolidation unification of the core books with those mechanics as opposed to a whole new edition of, of Dungeons & Dragons. But, of course, we don't know that, so just bear that in mind as you listen to this, because that was information that is, of course, now common knowledge, was not at the time of recording. Thank you. So in addition to just being a cool RPG person, uh, Russ is also here oh, because on the same day that you all get to hear this, he will have a new Kickstart launching. Mm. for uh, a product that, that, well, as much as we don't talk a lot about Dungeons & Dragons on this show, this is a, well... well it's a product that we're both excited for. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's oh, called... I'm glad, I'm glad. <laughs> it's called Level Up, and if you remember back when we did our Supers episode with Shane Stacks, he mentioned it. 
But uh, Russ, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Level Up is exactly? Okay, then. So Level Up is an advanced version of 5th edition. So just to be clear, it's still 5th edition. It's not a new game, and it, you know it's still 100% compatible with 5th edition. But what it does, it adds a whole layer of depth and diversity to the core game that you already know. So, for example, when you're creating a character, you get more choices as you level up. Like every time you level up, you make a meaningful choice. And throughout the whole game, we've like overhauled the whole 5e system from the ground up. Every single aspect of it, we've like gone back to, looked at it, and you know, tweaked it where necessary, should we say, or improved it, or added to it, or or, or whatever. Okay, so it's now. Would you say advanced? Is that is it more crunch or just more meaningful options? Because like. The one thing that's always kind of frustrated me, if once you get to third level, mm. there are pretty much, unless you choose to multi-class, there are, there's nothing more to do in fifth edition other than just erase and make numbers bigger. So that's, yeah. So what you've hit on there was probably the impetus for making this. So the biggest, when I um, was running O5E, as we call original fifth edition, we call it O5E as opposed to A5E, which is this. When I was running O5E, um, the biggest thing that my players used to say to me is that actually leveling up, especially as you get into the, you know, past level five and up towards level 10, isn't maybe quite as exciting as maybe they felt it could be. Mm -hmm. um, and that probably was the first thing that we, you know, our, our first focal point that drove us to start this. And of course, that spread out throughout the entire game when we, we addressed every single aspect of the game, everything. But yeah, classes having meaningful decision points at every single level was definitely the very first on our bullet point of things this game has to do. That was number one. Was It was right up there at the top. Yeah. Well, like I said, that that to me, like, yes, you have the, the so to speak, the character development just as far as like personality, but it mm. almost becomes, yeah, I'm just waiting for the next thing because this level, all I get is, you know, some hit points and maybe a spell slot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it gets it gets boring when you're like, well, I got to wait till level level six before I can get this or I got to wait till I, it's been so long that since I played D&D &D that I don't even remember. It was like yeah. there were like three or four major levels where you got your stuff and it was like, this is so counterintuitive, especially compared to the old versions. Yeah. So one of the things that made it quite easy for us to attack that particular aspect is that we've expanded out the exploration pillar to make it a proper full third. Because the uh, core 5e yeah, is, uh, is built on three pillars, combat, social, and exploration. But I think most of us probably agree that it's probably skewed quite heavily towards combat in that particular equation. <laughs> and maybe the exploration pillar doesn't quite get the attention that combat does. Well, so you may or may not agree. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my statement on it before has been that you have combat, which is like a nice pillar under a freeway overpass. Mm. Then you have social, which is probably like a steel beam in a warehouse. Mm. And then you have a two by four tipped up against it. That's exploration. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So what we've done is that underpass pillar, that big, big combat pillar, our exploration pillar is as big as that. It's a, a full size, massive pillar. 
And what that means is that gives us a whole bunch of design room where we can add in class abilities, class features, and you know all sorts of different exploration challenges and loads loads of new sort of like fun stuff that you can do or that you can choose as you level up or uh, ways to spice up your journey as you as as you make a, a journey between one village and the next. That has enabled us to expand going back to the whole meaningful choices at every level. That gives us room to put in more and more choice points where you can choose a, a cool exploration feature, uh, say level three or four or five or whatever. Well, right. And that, to me, that's like something that I think they just sort of lost because, I mean, look, we all know that original D&D was inspired heavily by Tolkien and a major mm. component of Tolkien's work is the journey. Although, of course, uh, Gary Gygax denied completely that Tolkien was an influence on d and yeah, He can Despite deny all he wants. The first, first, but it, it originally had Balrogs, it had Ents, it had Hobbits. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the original ranger was clearly Aragorn, you know. Yeah, well, like, look, yeah, well, you, we, you can claim that there's no influence all you want. The rest of us can see it, so... Mm-hmm. Quacks like a duck and walks like a duck. That's not a duck. Yeah. It's a goose. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Well, you, well, you see, he got he got. I think um, approached by the Tolkien estate, and I don't think they, it was yeah. actually a lawsuit. But I think it was looking like it was veering towards one, and he kind of had to take out the Balrogs and the Ents and the Hobbits and rename them as yeah. um, uh, Balors and Triants and Halflings uh, and uh, all that stuff. Yeah, and all, all that stuff. Yeah. And then probably from that day thereafter, he denied that there was any Tolkien. <laughs> I don't want another C&D. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I love hearing that this is focusing more on, well, not just focusing more on that, but adding things to bland fifth edition, base fifth edition, whatever you would like to call it, because it needs it. I mean, I'm glad to hear that somebody is stepping up to the plate to take that challenge because... The company that owns it isn't. We're wrong. We love fifth edition. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this. If we didn't love fifth edition, we'd have made a totally different game. We we we're making it fifth edition because we love fifth edition. We wanted to carry on playing fifth edition, but we just wanted a bit, a little bit more meat on the bone there. Well, in that regard, then now you're saying, yeah, this is a hundred percent fifth edition compatible, so on. And to be honest, I listen to your podcast weekly, so. I may have a little more insight on it than some. I also have not gone and done all the reading on the previews and stuff you put up for it. So I may know less than others. But my impression is the way this is structured is, let's say you're playing a fifth edition game right now and you get this book. You can, so to speak, just take off from wherever you're at and just change into the level up advancement, correct? Well, sort of. I mean, the classes are different. Okay. Um, we've revisited each class, so the fighter is different to the core five E fighter. The druid is different to the core five E druid. So there's a level up fighter and there's a core five E fighter, but they're compatible with each other in the sense that they both operate in the same game. Okay. So they, so you can you can play a level up fighter in your core five E game or vice versa, very very easily. Okay. Or you can use the level up core rulebook and run Curse of Strahd, or whatever the latest D&D adventure is, World Beyond the Witchlight, or whatever. So that, that, that's what we mean by compatible. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know if it was going to be something where, like, so to speak, you could say, okay, well, we're at level three, and then just from level three on, we'll use the level up progression as opposed to the core progression. Yeah. No, I mean, they're a different class with the same name, basically. So you've got your level up fighter, and you've got your core. I mean, they're not 
like different conceptually they're similar in sort of structure they've got the same kind of infrastructure there but the level up one just has a bunch more detail and a bunch more bunch more stuff to it okay so let me ask this one i know or i, I assume you have just the 12 core classes not the artificer because that's not part of the ogl if i'm not mistaken uh, not not the artificer but we do have the marshal Okay. Which, if you play older editions, you'd recognize it as being the Warlord. So uh-huh. the Marshal is a non-magical sort of uh, support class, in a way. He's able to heal and support and buff his companions, or a, a tactician and a strategist, that sort of thing. A leader. Okay. Yeah, I remember that when the Warlord came in in, what, fourth? Or was that from one of the three five splats? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was fourth, I think, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So we've got thirteen classes. Okay. We've renamed a couple of. Them. Okay. So you have thirteen, but if you want to play Eberron, you're going to have to either do some work on your own or use the artificer as is. We'll probably bring out an artificer at some point, I'm sure. But I mean, we've had to rename a couple of them. So like, um, and these were these were just uh, so that they could do the broad job that we wanted them to do. So for example, the monk in Core Five B very much is kind of locked into the sort of eastern warrior monk theme which is fine but we wanted it to be broader than that we wanted it to we wanted you to be a, a burly irish pit fighter as well or you know other types of unarmed combatant or a sort of exalted greek athlete or something like that so it, it kind of more of a sort of perfection of body and spirit kind of kind of thing mm-hmm. so while you can still play the eastern themed warrior monk you can still play you know other types of unarmed combatant so we renamed that the adept just to give it a slightly broader scope. And uh, the Barbarian we renamed as well to the Berserker, because A, that describes what they do better than Barbarian does. And B, we wanted, you can play a loincloth, raging Barbarian, Conan-y type if you want, but you could also play like this elven Berserker in like silver armor, who's part of the Queen's Guard, who just tears through the goblin ranks. You know, so it doesn't, you know, you can get different kind of flavors to your your sort of rage-fueled character. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, that's the, one of the things that, like, sometimes even even with the different subclasses in, in Core 5e, it's kind of like they still do the same thing. They just call it something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what we've tried to do is move the classes away from any specific culture mm-hmm. so that they can emulate a wider a wider spectrum. Does that make sense? Well, I, I, I feel like it. I know what I mean. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense yeah. because I think what happens is and this is my personal opinion, what happens with, say, the Barbarian, you Mm. immediately get an image in your head when you say that term, but when you say Berserker, it's a different, you know, it's a different, you know, it's not, it's not this rigid image that you get in your head from all of this media that you've consumed, even for new D&D players. And it doesn't prohibit that Barbarian that you had in your head in any way whatsoever, you can still play that, but it also means you can, you know, it just opens, opens it up to other avenues as well. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think that's, yeah. Fifth edition gets a lot of flack and some of it's deserved. Maybe some of it isn't, but I think you're addressing a big complaint in that it just, it feels like a big pot of stew. And no matter how many times you take a scoop, it still all tastes quite a bit the same. Mm, Yeah. I mean, we did a big survey when we started this. This was like 18 months ago, I think now. And we did this big survey and basically asked people what they kind of wanted out of an advanced fifth edition and i can't remember how many people answered that survey but it was in the tens of thousands it was a lot you know it kind of showed us there is an appetite for this out there 
because we mm. weren't even sure there was at the time, you know, was like, do people even want that? I mean, um, turns out some people do, some people don't, some people hate the idea and that's fine. They can play something else. That's really okay with that. But for the people that are into this idea, um, we got a big survey and we found out exactly what it was that people wanted out of an advanced fifth edition. And then we took those as directives, basically, like the customer base has told us what to do now. That's our mandate. That's what we have to do. Let's get ahead and write that. Very, very cool. So who all have you had involved in this? I remember hearing something at one point and one of our listeners actually asked me about this and somewhere I swear I heard a rumor that Owen Casey Stevens was involved in this at one point, but I don't see him listed anywhere on your page. Yeah. Early on he was going to be, and he just got overwhelmed with work and wasn't able to do that in the end. Unfortunately, he was, you know, he's very, very nice about it, but you know, he's a very, very, very <laughs> busy man and very yeah. much in demand. And, <laughs> You know, it, it got to the point where we kind of had to, you know, say, oh, you know, it's really disappointing that um, we can't use you, Owen. But, uh, you know, next time, next time, next time we do something, <laughs> well, ask him again. Yeah, well, but like I know, I know, I, I looked at uh, at the page and uh, you've got quite a wide variety of, of contributors and, and writers and, and other assorted functions involved here. Yeah, it's a team of over 30, I think. Oh, wow. It's a big, it's a big old team. Act so much because we got. If we think about the amount of work involved, we've got a six hundred page core rule book, which is it sounds you 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 think oh my god that sounds enormous. But uh, as a point of comparison, it's the exact same page count as the Players Handbook and Dungeon Master's Guide put together, and it fulfills those two functions. So it's the same as those, but slightly cheaper than buying two separate hardcover books. Aha! So it's all it's all it is. The real question yes. is how much does it weigh? <laughs> ah, we don't know yet. We don't have one yet. <laughs> but we will find out. <laughs> For those who don't know, you're referring to the most important part of um, my own podcast that I do with Peter Coffey every week, which is a RPG news podcast. And um, yeah, when we when we get a new book in, we always weigh we always weigh it because that's clearly the most important piece of information that people have tuned into the podcast <laughs> to find out about. <sighs> um, so I don't know. I don't know how much it weighs. A lot. It weighs a lot. I can tell you that. You would not want to put it on top of your cat. <laughs> okay. So you've cl- like you said, uh, and I know I'm jumping around here a little bit and rambling, but that's a little bit what we do. Uh, with all that's the right. expansion in the exploration pillar of the game, and, and you mentioned that it, it basically, you know, the book being roughly the equivalent of the PHB and the DMG, mm. are you going to have? a different bestiary for this or is it going to use the monster manual or so you can use original 5e monsters if you want and if you've got a whole bunch of original 5e monster books whether they're from wizards of the coast or whether they're from cobalt press or whether from whoever wherever you got them from they all work that's fine you know your books are still valid but we also have produced the monstrous menagerie where we have taken the original monster book for dnd and we have revised every single monster from the ground up. And that was done by, are you familiar with Paul Hughes of the blog of holding? I've heard the name. He's very, I'd say he's probably the world's foremost expert on D&D monster math. He's like broken them down into da- how much average damage different challenge ratings do. And uh, he's got graphs and he's plotted these on graphs and all sorts of stuff. Really, really, really complicated stuff. And he's basically revised the math behind the monster manual completely um so the all the crs work and they're all doing the right amount of damage and they're all the challenge that they should be and also they're more interesting because they've got more interesting abilities rather than being sucks of hit points 
that makes me so happy to hear. Yeah. And not only that, he's also added tools for every single monster. So not only has he revised every single monster from the ground up, um, he's also added tools. So if you open up a monster entry, so you opened up, I don't know, the, the, the Aboleth or something, the first monster in the book, you'll get tables like Aboleth names, just in case you're, you need, you suddenly need an Aboleth name. You'll get tables like uh, signs of an Aboleth. Like when you meet a monster, you don't necessarily walk around a corner and there it is. Maybe you want to build it up a little bit. So the, the GM can drop in a few signs and just build up that anticipation a little bit. Is it sort of like claw marks in a tree if it's some kind of werewolf or something? Is it is it a head on a spike if it's a death knight? It's like, oh, my God, there's a lot of heads on spikes here. What's going on? Oh, it's a bit cloudy, you know, and, and you know, ways to sort of build up the encounter before you actually have it. Uh, and so we've got encounter tables for each monster, depending on challenge rating, treasure tables for each monster, you know, loads of tools for the GM so that they're ready to run that encounter with that monster just with that page spread in front of them. That's really cool. Well, now you're speaking my language because you keep talking about tables and that makes me happy. <laughs> I love yeah, yeah. I, I, that's my like one of my biggest complaints with fifth edition is that mm. there are there's too much information that should just be in a table. Like, yeah, I mean, they've got this natural language kind of edict going on, and I get it. Um, and I, I like the natural language; it's clear and easy to understand. But sometimes, yeah, a table can do the trick really well. But no, I, I, I really like that because I feel like that sort of happens in original fifth edition games. Is that you'll have where you just sort of maybe you're doing a dungeon crawl and you just sort of walk into a room and there's a creature. Well, why is this creature just in this room? Yeah, like, yeah. So then you guess, then you've got a, a table which gives you a whole bunch of different behaviors. It might be engaged and it might be normally doing this, that, or whatever. And each creature has a different table. And also, the other thing we've got is uh, legends and lore about each monster. So next to each monster, there's a legends and lore check, and you can maybe make a nature check or a history check or an arcana check, depending on the monster. And depending on what you get, you get some information about that monster. Yeah, that's nice too, because, yeah, how many times have you just, you just start fighting something, not really, like, you, the player, knows, but the character might not really understand yeah. what it is. Like, yeah. oh, how many times have you fought a cobalt? Yeah, but I think with our monsters, they might surprise some of the players sometimes. Some of the tweaks we've made to them, or some of the abilities we've given them, just to make them a bit more interesting and able to, you know, jolt the players out of a sense of complacency, shall we say. Good. <laughs> no, that's, I think a lot of us that have gamed for years are kind of there with that. It's just, like, it's okay, it's this again. And this gives you, mm. like you just said, the more more depth to it makes it, you know, gives you like hints to drop where before, mm. okay, so yeah, they're goblins, it's owl bears, it's whatever, mm. or or bear owls if you will, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the correct name. For bear owl. <laughs> what else would you call something that's mainly bear with a bit of owl? <laughs> fair point. Fair point. So, yeah, like, I don't know. I'm excited about it. And uh, I know the last episode of your podcast, I heard you were talking uh, about the Ranger and how that got a whole lot of love in this. Oh, we love the Ranger. We love the Ranger. Yeah, yeah. That's done by Anthony Lipio, who's, uh, yeah, he took the Ranger and he redesigned it from the ground up. That was one of the classes that got the biggest changes because it's now a spellless Ranger. It still has amazing abilities, but they all come from wilderness expertise rather than actual magic and it is awesome and like that's the way it should be to me like mm. in in my head when you say ranger you think woodsman not neo druid well yeah that's not drizzed <laughs> exactly like i didn't understand you know 
I, I just, I never could quite wrap my head around why the ranger has spells because I was like, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me to begin with. <laughs> mm. I get, I get the idea of the ranger having a bit of nature magic, and that's fine. And we provide a, a subclass which allows you to do that if, if that's what you want to do. But if you want the spell, spellless ranger, our core ranger is magic free. Good, and I love it. I love it. It's, it's like I think it's probably my favorite class now, and it never was in core five I always felt it was a bit weak. And it's one of those classes that's been attempted so many times as well. Like, uh, there's a million third-party rangers out there. Wizards of the Coast has attempted it, like, two or three times, I think, with Unearthed Arcana, and hasn't settled on one yet. And uh, I just hope that our one, like, strikes a chord to people. I think it will. Yeah, they've... Wizards of the Coast has tried to redo the ranger in Unearthed Arcana, and then they put out a whole... um, The ranger was redone in a more recent book, and I was like, okay... And even everybody was like, this isn't, this still isn't good. So, mm. well, yeah, yeah. My experience a little bit, I've only played one or two, but is that the Ranger is a class that is very, very, what do you want to say, sensitive to how well the player knows how to use the action economy. Right, right. And, and so, like, you can, you can play a Ranger and hang with the rest of the classes but it requires a higher level of player system mastery than most of the other classes to get that out of it because you have to know that, mm. okay, yeah, you need to put Hunter's Mark up and then you need to use your companion to go in there and help you get advantage. Right, right. And you know what I mean? Like, whereas if you're a fighter, you just walk up and hit it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, I understand that in the sense that they provided a range of classes, some of which were simple and some of which were more complex, and they kind of were designed to suit a different kind of range of player, I guess. So that kind of makes sense. I think most of ours probably are more towards the ranger end of that equation now, I would say. Well, but, but I think, yeah, I don't know. One of one of the complaints I've, I've leveled at Core 5th Edition is that it's incredibly sensitive to player system mastery, and then mm. that throws your challenge ratings... Like you said, you you right, had to right. redo all of them because if the DM doesn't know how, you know, doesn't know effectively how to play all the classes their players are, now mm. they're getting blindsided because, you know, oh, their ranger knows how to stack things in just the right order or their paladin, right, right. you know what yeah. I mean? And, and so that's where one of the things I've said is people want to say that 5e is very new player friendly. And I think it is mm. if that new player has already played RPGs in the past. I don't honestly know how new player friendly it is for someone who's just never played before. Right, right. Because, you know, Steve and I have, have seen at the table a couple of people who really struggled with the action economy and some of the terms. Yeah, I don't know. I do know that Mike Mills used to say he always wished they hadn't put bonus actions in there. I don't know if he still holds that opinion, but at least a few years ago he did. I just kind of wish they would have played around with the wording of the action economy because some of it mm. is like... So specifically, the attack action confuses. Mm. I found that it confuses new players, and right, right, and it's it's this you know where you can take the attack action and then you have a bonus action. It just it tends to muddy the waters in ways, and mm. players that don't, specifically new players that don't want to get into too complex mechanics. So people mm. that are like, um, oh, I'm new to this. I think I'll just start with like a barbarian or a fighter. And they end up just confused because of the wording in in the book and how the attack action works and how there's an attack and the attack action and how those are two different things. 
Mm. You know, when you start getting into the mid levels where you're getting two attacks per attack action, and now you have to try and explain to somebody that no, you don't get two actions, you're getting two attacks. It's it's right, it just right. gets yeah, yeah. frustrating. <laughs> but for those of yeah. us who have played for, you know, for me, well, both of us really have played, you know, some from second edition on. And yeah, so yeah. yeah, we understand what it means, even though it's a little more muddled with what it actually says. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's, I mean, it's kind of hard to put yourself in the place of a new player now as well, just because, you know, it's hard to hard to do that when you've been playing for a while and you have to go back when you're, when you're designing a game and you have to go back and put yourself in that place and think, how does this look to someone who doesn't have these sort of underlying assumptions and implicit understanding of how an RPG works already in their head? How does this look to a new player who's picked up this book for the first time? Does it? I hate to use the word onboard, but you know what I mean. Does it onboard the does it onboard that person correctly? Does it onboard them in a way that they can understand? That, I think that's that's like you said. That's and it's so difficult because obviously your game designers, you're well removed from that. Just walking in the door mm. and going, "Oh, what are you guys doing?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It does. It does make it hard. I mean, that's what that's part of what playtesting is about. Like, that helps alleviate that problem a lot. You, you ask people of all different backgrounds to try and playtest your game and tell you what you need to know because there's no way you can do it yourself. Well, you said what you've been playtesting level up, so to speak, in your personal games for would you say a year and a half now, close? Yeah, yeah, well, that and also we've had the big public playtests as well, right. which have had thousands and thousands of people who have been involved in those. But yeah, we've been playing in our own game for, for quite a while now. Yeah, wow, yeah, no, like I said, I'm excited because. Well, both of both Steve and I, we both love the Eberron setting, and it's one of those things because it was designed for D and D. It's a little bit mm. weird to export to another engine, mm. um, at least in my head. I'm not, you know, I, I've heard it done successfully with a couple of systems, but I have reservations just because of how my head works. And this feels yeah, like it, yeah. it's something that I can stay interested in and do this thing with the setting and you know what I mean? Like, like it's less work and I can still do what I want to do and get more out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can take our level up core rules and you can pick up your Eberron rising from the last war hardback and they work together. They're perfectly compatible and you can, you can run Eberron with our rules just like that. The only thing like you say is the artificer. You can still use the old artificer still compatible, still works. It's still, it's the, still the same game system. It's not as much fun, I don't think, as uh, an A5V class because the A5V classes have a bit more detail and a bit more, you know, flexibility about them. But they still work. They're still balanced, and they're still, you know, they're still designed to run in the same game. Cool. So, uh, Steve, do you have any any other questions? Because I I chatter on here, but <laughs> did you mute yourself? I did mute myself. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm just sitting here. Sort He's of... been talking for the last ten minutes, and we just don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> <laughs> um not not a ton of questions really i i i'm i'm happy to hear that i'm i'm very happy to hear that with level up it is addressing a lot of the issues that i had with base fifth edition and very excited to get it on a table and that's not something i've said about well i said it we had uh miguel on he spoke about cloud c but with fifth edition core i haven't thought about getting that on a table and well, almost a year and a half at this point because yeah, I yeah. just got so burnt out with it. Well, I'm really glad this is at least the concept of it is resonating with people because that, you know, with the Kickstarter coming up, we're 
literally in panic mode now. It's like this, you know, there's so much riding on this now. It's, uh, yeah, it's quite a scary thing. It's the biggest thing we've ever done. So it's good to hear that people are, you know, clicking with the idea of it. I could maybe put you to a little bit of ease. I know that everybody that I've talked to about Level Up has been super excited for it and very, very welcoming because it is something that it's it's needed in mm. in the game. I mean, it's it's very needed. Good, good. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad. I'm very glad. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, most of most of the people like on our Discord server, a lot of us play D&D, but we also play a lot of other games. And mm. there's been a lot of just kind of that mumbled interest about, hey, have you heard about this thing that, that, that N- you know, EN's doing? And yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of interesting, you know. So it's 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 got that undercurrent going, and um, yeah, yeah, it's got a lot it's of. It's interesting to see. Yeah, it's one of those things that hard, really hard to get a handle on how well the Kickstarter is going to do. Like most of the times when I run a Kickstarter, and I've run like twenty five of them, I can usually predict in advance within you know like ten percent about how much it's you know I I'm pretty good at that. Um, but with this one, I just have no idea. It's just not even a, a, a sense of how well this is going to do. Well, and I think, you know... I hope it does well. I hope it does well. It has to do well, because I'm like... <laughs> I've spent a lot of money on this. Well, yeah, I was going to say, that is one thing, and I did want to, to bring this up or have you bring it up, is that the way you structure your Kickstarters is a little different than most publishers, I would say, in that mm. you don't really do a lot of stretch goals. But if I'm understanding what I've heard you say on your own show correctly, essentially, you use the Kickstarter as a pre-sale slash know how, many, how big your print run needs to be more than anything else. The book yeah. is done. Yeah. So there's, yeah, so there's like two big sets of costs when it comes to producing something like this. You've got the development cost, and then you've got the manufacturing cost. So uh, the development side of it, I always do in advance. So we have in front of us the PDFs before the Kickstarter launches, the final PDFs of the game, ready to go. The manufacturing side of it, of course, is going to be this print run, which is going to cost however many thousands and thousands of dollars to do and ship and all that sort of stuff. That then is what we raise the money for on on the Kickstarter itself. That's kind of how we do it. We divide it into those two things. So when when the Kickstarter ends, all we have to do is print and ship those books out. Right. Right. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, I, I've heard you talk about it, but your your record for fulfilling the digital side of your rewards is something in the neighborhood of three and a half seconds. Oh, under a second. Under a second. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I have it ready to go, ready to send. And I watch the Kickstarter counting down 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. And as soon as it hits zero, I click. And it's, you know, so my record is definitely under a second that I've sent out the PDFs for the digital side of the Kickstarter. Very, very cool. And that's what you can expect with this one. That will happen with this one. As soon as the Kickstarter ends, people will have that in their inboxes before they actually realize the Kickstarter's end. Ended. I mean, I don't know which email will get to them first, the one with the PDF or the one where from Kickstarter saying it's ended, but they'll be pretty close to each other. Well, that's really cool, though. And, and you know, like I know some people are, are skeptical of Kickstarter. I certainly was, you know, when I first found out about it. But the way you mm-hmm. do it is as risk free as you can ask for. And you've got a track record. Yeah, we take on as much of the risk as we can. Yeah. Now. Again, just because of the time warp that is podcasting and so forth, we're 
what, about 10 days ahead of your actual launch as we record, but mm. no one's going to hear this yeah. until the day of launch. Do you know what your assorted tiers are going to be yet as far as pledges and so roughly, forth? Roughly, roughly. We're still tweaking them because we're still getting print and shipping quotes in as we speak. And at the moment, because of various things globally, these things are like fluctuating enormously. So probably we won't set those in stone literally until like the day. But we're probably talking in, in pounds, uh, British pounds, it's going to be sort of between 40 and 50 pounds per hardcover book. We've also got a starter adventure, which is going to be a lot cheaper. It's going to be about uh, a tenner for the PDF, maybe 20, maybe 100 page uh, uh, starter adventure, maybe 20 pounds for starter adventure. And this is quite cool because what this starter adventure does, it assumes we, we start with the assumption that you know how to play 5e and you have the core 5e books. And we think some people maybe don't want to invest in these big hardcover books of must quite yet. They want to dip their toe in and have a look. So these people, they can get the starter adventure relatively cheaply. And this starter adventure, uh, like 100-page adventure, takes you levels one to three. And as you get to each change in the rules from Core 5e to level up, you get this sidebar which gently explains. It sort of says, right, now, so this is your first journey. So this is what you're going to do. As they journey from this village to this village, do this, do this, do this, and it will gently explain each new rule as you come across it in the adventure. So it won't cover every rule, obviously, but it will, you know, every one that you come across in those three levels, it'll explain those to you. That's cool. So it's a great way to just dip your toe in without having to shut out for great big, like 500 page hardcover books, which, you know, however, however good a deal we get with the printers, it's, they're still not going to be cheap things to buy. Oh, well, no. I mean, and let's be honest, at least here in the U.S., wood is up, and we all know they make paper from wood. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I heard a, a rumor, and I wasn't sure what it was. You know the big um, uh, Avatar Kickstarter that happened recently? Yes. When they did like $10 million, Avatar RPG, massive one. Um, and they had something like, was it something like 80,000 backers or something in the end? Something massive. And each of those backers was getting like, on average, five or six different things. And uh, I heard a rumor, and I don't know how true this is, and it might be absolute nonsense, but I heard a rumor that their printers turned around and said to them, we didn't expect it to be this big. There isn't enough cardboard in the US to do this. I, <laughs> I mean, that may have been an exaggeration. I don't know. But, uh, if, if it's not, it's a funny story, whatever. Well, I think it just speaks to, you know, how how big that Kickstarter went because I know you track these and that it's amazing. It's amazing. I'm so happy for them as well. It's just, it was what four and a half to five times the previous record. Yeah. Yeah. The previous one would have been, uh, uh, Matt Colville with his strongholds and streaming. And he did like, I want to say 2.3 million, something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. Something in that region. Well, here's the hoping yeah. that, that you can at least join the million dollar club with this one. Right. <laughs> no, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I think, I, I think it'll do. Okay. Though. I think it'll do. All right. I mean, I, I've got in my head a number that it needs to make mm -hmm. in order for me not to lose money. And it's quite a large number, but I'm fairly confident it will do that. Well, that's so this way. If it doesn't, that, that sound you hear is me weeping in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm fairly sure it will. I'm fairly sure it will. Well, what more do we have here, Steve? I'm just excited to hear about Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. That's all I'm excited to hear. <laughs> uh, we, don't say, we don't say those words. I know. I, <laughs> I've just been having a hard time sitting here talking about this and like 
that's all I can think is that this is just a new advanced Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> you could just call it second edition. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so I'm so glad it's resonating with you though. And you know, I I've I've really like getting this out into people's hands is gonna it's gonna be the biggest thing I've ever done. So and I you know, it's gonna be amazing that's out in people's hands and people playing it. On the subject of it being the biggest thing you've ever done, I mean, to me, you're kind of one of those people that, how do I want, you're the biggest unknown name in the industry. Because a lot of people, if you say Russ Morrissey, they're like, who? And you go, the guy that runs EN World, they go, oh! Right, right. Oh, I don't know how to reply to that. I mean, um, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I, I think, you know, if, if you were to take a poll of people who are, heavily into especially the the more independent side of things or whatever mm. you know or or game designers you know like i i'm guessing the list of game designers that you know is really really long compared to most of the rest of us yeah that's it's reasonable yeah i mean i've been doing this for 20 years and yes I've exactly with an awful lot of them in that period you know and then you're a designer yourself and i mean what you've got wine and the ace under your yeah, belt yeah yeah, and then we've got years and years of uh, products for 3E and 3.5 and 4E and Pathfinder and all that stuff as well. Like on a drive through RPG, I think we've got something like five, 600 products now. Oh, my massive, gosh. Massive number. We had uh, on our podcast, we had um, Steve Witt from drive through RPG on, and uh, he made a joke that every time I tried to do a sales report on his site, drive through RPG would crash. <laughs> <laughs> And it's not because we sell like massive, massive quantities of anything. It's just that we've got so many products. It's just such a big, long list. That actually is a question I do have. And, and I know, you know, with shipping being whatever, what are your prospects for actual physical retail with this? You know, be it especially, you know, in our case, you know, in the U.S., do you have an export deal or? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you'll see these in your, uh, it depends how good your local game store is, but if it's any good, you will see our book in there. And you can tell if it's any good. You go in there. If our book's in there, it's good. If our book's not in there, you know it's not a good game store. And you should go and find another one. Well, I, I have a feeling that we share probably <laughs> a favorite game store with uh, your your friend Mike Myler. Oh, really? Yes. Really? Are you local to Oh, right. right We're in right. the same general area. I've never met him, never right, chatted with him. Yeah. but Right. Do you say that weird noise he makes? Gins. Gins? Yeah, that's Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah. So I was like, what's that noise? What's that strange noise you're making, Michael? What? Stop. Why? What? <laughs> yeah, no, my mind is amazing. He's been um, the project leader on the uh, core rule book. Paul Hughes was running the uh, monster book. And he is just amazing. He's like coordinated 30-odd different freelancers, done a ton of writing himself as well, and brought this thing together. Like, I can't, I can't sing his praises enough. That's really cool. And uh, looking at the time, I think we got a little bit left. So just is there anything else, you know, aside from the level up Kickstarter that you want to let people know that you do? I mean, because you have many things. It's like there's room in my brain for more than that right now. <laughs> my <laughs> brain is just so consumed with this upcoming Kickstarter that I literally can't think about anything else. But, um, yeah. um, I think the other thing, um, this being a podcast, so... Um, my own podcast, which is Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk, which goes out every weekend. And it is, I think, I'm not 100% sure, I think it's the only general tabletop RPG news show 
that, that does that. I think it is. There may be others out there, but if they are, I haven't heard them. But yeah, we do we do the week. We do a weekly roundup of the tabletop RPG news every week, followed by Kickstarters, followed by a topic of the week. So I'd love it if people, if you're, if any of your listeners listening now would uh, would uh, hop on over and give our show a try because uh, we've been doing that three years now and we love doing that. Yeah, I enjoy it. Like I, I've listened to it from. Oh, the question is the question. The important question is: Do you like the sketches? I don't actually listen to the rebroadcast of the sketches, but I do enjoy them the first time through. <laughs> we did this. We did these occasional like uh, polls just to see how we're doing on different segments of the show, and the sketches are so divisive. Like people either love them or they hate them. No one's in the middle. No one's ambiv- ambivalent about them. And I guess it's comedy. Well, it's just subjective. Uh, I mean, some people absolutely despise them, and other people love them. So. I think there's there's also the what do you want to say? In my estimation, they're quite British in their humor, and not everybody yeah, gets I mean, it. Yeah, they're quite they're quite surreal in places. Well, like Peter, my co-host, like at least half of them, he hates. He just does not like surreal absurdism or anything like that. That's not his type of humor. He hates doing it. Yeah, well, but I write all the sketches, so you know, as I say to him, you know, if you want to do something else, you write a sketch. <laughs> well, it's like I've told people, you know, Monty Python to me is equal parts very very intense satire and completely mm. absurd yeah exactly <laughs> and that's basically exactly what i do as well not as well obviously because they're they're monty python but that's that's my sense of humor too yeah all right so morris's unofficial tabletop rpg talk en world mm. en publishing level up 5e oh i know what i meant to mention um we just literally just yesterday released the latest just read in the world's of 2000 ad book which is apocalypse war and it went live on our website just yesterday so you can pop on over there if you're a just fan and pick that one up okay thank you for hurting my wallet <laughs> Sorry. i have to say i i'll just say this real quick mm. that book is phenomenal that that book, as a fan of that world of the 2080 stuff and Judge Dredd, that book is fantastic. Thank you, thank you. It's I think it's a great. If, even if you're not into tabletop gaming or role playing games, it's a good coffee table Judge Dredd reference book. Oh yeah, but I mean, as even as a even as an RPG, it's it's just mm. fantastic. I just love it. I, I really do. We're super proud of it. We really are. I, I was so glad to see a, a proper faithful adaptation of that and just just to see, you know, like I said, I, I'm a fan of the I'm a fan of the magazine comic, whatever you'd like to call it. But yeah, yeah. it 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 just is great to see a proper adaptation of that into an RPG. Thank you. That's really cool. I'll tell I'll tell all the other people involved in that as well, because uh, um, I, I, I try to take some credit for it, but I'm kind of more responsible for the system behind it but people like darren pierce and nick robinson and people like that and andy peregrine have all been doing an awful lot of the adventures and the the core rule book and all the background material and uh, so 99 percent of the writing i guess is down to that well the the system's great too i i, I think that system's perfect for that setting yeah the what sort of new system yeah I've, i'm it's my baby that the old uh what sort of <laughs> <new> system <laughs> i developed that a good few years ago now it's weird how time passes yeah, well, and like I've I've I picked them up uh, that brief window at the very start of COVID time where you put the PDFs up. I snagged the copy mm-hmm. there. And am I correct in saying that the uh, the old West End system has been a big influence on you? Oh God, yeah. Have you picked up awfully cheerful engine? 
No, I haven't got that one yet. Pick that one up and compare it to West End Games' Ghostbusters RPG, which is the precursor to the Star Wars D6 system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, that Ghostbusters RPG is probably the biggest influence on my game design. It's my favorite all-time game. I had it when it came out in the 80s. I still love it to this day. It's one of those games where the system and the writing and everything is a perfect marriage of all these things exactly work together. And it's just beautiful, that game. Yeah. Well, it's like we were saying, I think, uh, right before we started actually recording, you know, you brought up the point that, yes, mechanically, you can play any genre in any system, Mm. but it won't do it as well. Yeah. It's like you could take a system and you can put a costume on it, but it's not the same as actually playing a tailor-made system for a particular genre. Yeah. Yeah. I think with that, do we want to go ahead and move into Game of the Week? Game of the Week. Game of the Week. Yes. <laughs> All right. So this is this is our little uh, game, if you will, uh, somewhat inspired probably by uh, your favorite game in all the world ever, although we didn't want to copy it directly. Uh, but what <laughs> what this is, is really just a chance to bring up some game that, that you know of that you want to make other people aware of is the, the simplest okay. way to put it. So with that being said, Steve, do you have something or do you want me to go first or Russ? Would you... I do have something. OK. Um, I have something that I actually picked up before this and forgot to tell you about, but I'll tell you about it now. Okay. Uh, I picked up a game called Viking Death Squad. Uh, okay. It is $12.50 on Drive-Thru RPG for the PDF. The one sentence pitch, their first sentence pitch, which is on Drive-Thru, is an entire world RPG system and play resource inspired by the heavy metal super classic War Pigs by Black Sabbath. Hmm. You have sold me. Thank you. Um, (laughs) I love old school metal. And this is like old school metal and Vikings and sort of has some of that dark, rich, gritty Morkborg stuff going on. I think this looks awesome. I picked it up. I haven't got a chance to read it, but man, this is so cool. It's 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 the authors are a company called Runehammer, um, Brandish, Gilhelm is the artist. Um, it is being produced by Modifius for the hardback copy. It is just a really cool, really old, really cool game. Uh, D6 system seems really rules light, but definitely worth a pickup. Uh, if you're into that, like hardcore stuff, that's like, that is old school metal, you know, <laughs> definitely worth a pickup. I noticed you said Modifius there. Like, like there's such thing as a game that Modifius isn't distributing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, d- didn't I hear you say you actually partnered with them for some of your distribution? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they uh they carry Judge Dread for us as well. They 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 were the ones that helped us get Judge Dread over into the US um distribution chain. Well, I find that Modifius Modifius hard products are actually really well done. Mm. They're they're usually really high quality. That's why I try to when I see that they're the ones producing the hard products, that's why I shout it out because in my opinion, not that they're like a a paragon of quality but it is a, a sign of that you're going to get a decently well-made book well i think what you'll find is a lot of the printers over here and they're the ones that would probably work with Modifius. um a lot of the printers on this side of the ocean mainly use uh, a company in lithuania called standartu to do their printing 
definitely the most popular um, print shop for for European-based uh, RPG publishers. So that's probably why you'd see that is that you know they're all using the same the same same outfit to print those things. Cool. In fact, we've got we've got Level Up lined up with them as well. Good, good. You can absolutely well. I I wouldn't expect anything less from you, but you can absolutely expect a quality book. <laughs> it is. It's going to be gorgeous. It's going to be heavy, but it's going to be gorgeous. Hey, ha- I have no. I am not in college anymore, so I don't pack my books around. So I don't have a problem with a heavy book. <laughs> <laughs> Back when I was in college, I used to complain about that. I used to be like, "Oh man, these I books like, are so yeah. heavy." Now I'm like. I don't care. It could weigh half a ton. It, it's going to sit on that shelf. I'm going to open it once in a while. Be like well, those old as, Bibles as, on the pedestal. You know? as, my, as my podcast co-host Peter likes to say, when you've got a nice heavy book, not only does that make a great reference book, also, when the zombie apocalypse comes, it makes a great bludgeoning reference. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you've got Viking Death Squad. Yep. What do you got, Steve? Oh, I have something I found, and this is actually, it came back to me because I'm going to divert here for a moment because it's our show and we can do this. This week, I actually watched on um, Discovery Plus. Adam Savage, had a of Mythbusters fame, has this program called Savage Builds. And he put an episode out where he went and visited Peter Jackson has a factory slash company slash I think almost private airfield in New Zealand where he flies replica reproductions of World War I airplanes. Like they got the original blueprints and they make them to the original blueprints and then they go fly them. So being as he's got a background in special effects, he's actually, you know, he was having dinner with Peter Jackson. And somehow anyway, he said he looked at Peter Jackson and said, well, what if we took the stuff that you used to play laser tag and put them on all your World War One era appropriate planes and did a simulated dogfight. And so they actually did. They basically had a laser tag dogfight with a German Fokker and a, I forget what the British, but it was a two-seat fighter bomber from World War One. I'm not, I'm not an expert on... But anyway, <laughs> all that being said to say that my game of the week is a game called Warbirds Role-Playing Game, Ooh. which is... Well, the blurb goes as follows. Welcome to the floating island of Azure. Here among the dazzling fragments of the Caribbean islands is where your elite fighter pilot will make their mark on the world. Warbirds is a game about flying and fighting for fame and fortune. Step into the role of a guild pilot and go head-to-head in fast-paced aerial combat powered by Outrider Studios' rapid-fire system. And so it is essentially a game about aerial dogfighting, which, yeah, I don't know that I'd want it all the time, but it certainly would be a delightful change of pace. Uh, PDF goes for about 15 bucks on drive through Art looks interesting. Um, kind of a very kind of Art Deco style to it. It is also uh, available print on demand, but that one's mine. Very cool. Which leaves us to you. Uh, well, does it have to be a current game or can, we, can it be a historical game? Oh, no, it, it can be from whatever era you like. Okay, because like I mentioned the Ghostbusters game a, a few minutes ago, so I thought I'd choose that one because it's in my head now, and I love that game so much. So oh, there's an interesting fact about that Ghostbusters game. So it was produced by West End Games like in the 1980s, and it was the first ever dice pool system ever made, predating their own dice pool system that they used for uh, for Star Wars and stuff. So the first ever dice pool system is a D6 dice pool system, and you have four stats and they're brains 
muscle, uh, moves, and cool. And each of those has a score between one and five, and that just tells you how many d6 you roll when when you make a make a check. And then each dice also has one of the sides has a little sort of Ghostbusters symbol, and that's the ghost die. And if you roll that, then some unfortunate mishap occurs. Because, you know, Ghostbusters is all about sort of action, comedy, and hilarity. So some kind of, like, hilarious, unfortunately, you know, you'll sort of uh, put your foot in a paint bucket or something, or you'll, uh, you'll slip, on, slip on a banana peel or something like that. So that that's my one. And that's probably, like I said earlier, my favorite game of all time. I love that game to bits. That's cool. Yeah, and that's, like I said, that's kind of the point, right? Like, we had a guest not too long ago brought up the James Bond RPG. I have that one upstairs. Yeah, yeah, I have that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I know you're quite the I a, collector. I have, a copy of the, I have a copy of the Indiana. There's not many copies. It's the Indiana Jones RPG upstairs as well. Yeah, I've, I've heard you mention awful that. Game, I have to say. But... <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it's a piece of history. <laughs> yeah, well, but I think that's an example of because not every IP translates well. And mm. the thing with Indiana Jones is there's really one interesting character in indiana jones mm. i think is it that game that the license they weren't allowed to put character creation rules in it might not have been that one i might be confusing it with something else but if it was that would explain quite a lot so you had to you literally had to play the characters on the film that i don't know i've just heard i i know more about it from hearing you talk about it in the diana jones award than anything else mm. <laughs> But, yeah, of course. Yeah, so the Diana Jones Award is an award that happens at Gen Con every year, and uh, there's this uh, pyramid. Uh, I guess it's made of perspex or something. Anyway, and it's got um, inside it. It's got uh, the burnt remains of the very last ever copy of the Indiana Jones RPG, and that's in there. And it's burnt off so much that instead of saying Indiana Jones, all you can see is Diana Jones, which is why it's called the Diana Jones Award. <laughs> in a trivia there. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I guess, um, do you have anything more you'd like to say other than go out and, and check out Level Up? No, just thank you so much for having me on. It's been a blast. I've had a really good time. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to come and talk with us. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. It was I was it's blown been... away when you when you responded and said you'd be on because Oh, it's been it's been uh, it's been a pleasure. It really has. Thank you. All right. Well, like I said, thank you very much for taking the time to come chat with us. I hope you have wild success with this because I fully intend to. I, so <laughs> <laughs> I fully intend to, yeah. to check it out and support it out on some level or other, depending on you know exactly how finances are going during that month. But uh, mm. isn't that always I, the case? Yeah, yeah I definitely yeah. plan on on sending some some money this way. So <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. All righty. Well, with that, we want to thank you for listening and remind you to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at meandsteverpgpodcast. On Discord at meandsteverpgs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you, and be kind to one another. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that.
hard. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, it's been what seven, eight years now. You know, it's uh... well, it's it's time for a new edition. But uh, Watsy has a cash cow. So. As long as they don't announce one in the next week, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> they announce a new edition in the next week, <laughs> I'm in trouble. Well. You know, and, that's, uh, and that's probably, fair. And, uh, I've said that. I've just said that, and I just jinxed myself. And they definitely will now. <laughs> well, I don't think they will. I think they're. I think they're planning on on keeping fifth edition as a as a legacy product as long as they can make money off of it. I'm pretty sure we'll get revised core rule books that have the new poster races yep. and alignment and controversial and fixes and stuff like that. I think we'll get that. Yeah, I I could see that. Just because they want to sell those books again, um, yeah, but like a five point two five sort of thing, not not as big as a point five. Correct. 